I did something last summer I've never done before. I went hitchhiking. It was uh, unplanned. Uh, I was visiting my wife's family in Michigan, and they had this great idea. Why don't we float down a river? They live right next to a creek, a uh, bit of a river. And uh, they said, why don't we go up a ways and drop in and just float down in the canoe and some tubes and stuff like that. Well, have a great afternoon. It was great. They picked a place on the map. Well, all right, we all picked a place on the map and, uh, and decided that's where we would drop in. <laughs> We're floating down the river. And it's now about three hours of floating. And we pull out our phones out of little Ziploc bags, right? only to find that we are just under halfway there. And the, the crew in the canoe are starting to get restless, hungry. When's this gonna end? When are we gonna get it out? And so we realized this isn't gonna go bad aboard. So we, we pull off to the side and we find a, a bridge area with a little parking lot. We pull off, pull the canoe and the tubes up. And then it's, who's gonna go uh, try to get back to the car to to come get us. So I uh, I volunteered thinking it was no problem. I would just jog back flip flops along the road. I am jogging back and uh, and I think well why not why not hitchhike? We're in rural Michigan. There's got to be a lot of great people. Now let me just explain it in the context. I'm used to running on the side of roads. Uh, when we my wife and I are both runners. Enjoy doing. Long distance running, enjoy might be kind of a overstatement, but we do it, and and we always complain to each other, to others, how little people move over for you when you're running, and so we have this this kind of ongoing complaint about how people just just don't seem to move over very much. Well, I found out if you stick out your thumb, people drive in the opposite ditch to get around you. That becomes painfully like. Really, you didn't have to do that. I understand you don't want to pick me up, but you didn't have to do that. So I, I'm, I'm jogging my flip-flops and my swim trunks down this road, headed back into town, and people are driving around me. And uh, I probably ran, walked for 45 minutes and was still not close to, uh, to the town there. And so ended up a highway patrolman passed and circled back and uh, wanted to know what I was doing out on a jog, uh, hitchhiking with my thumb up. And he gave me a ride. But here's, here's, what, here's what it came back to me about. I fear that as part of our community of faith, part of our faith, and you may be at a different place, in a, in a host, very degree of where you're at with your understanding of, of the love of God. But it has felt to me that for some of us, we have come to, to intellectually embrace this idea that this God is love, right? We, we, we own that. It's, it's kind of a slogan for, for Christianity. God is love. Dios es amor. We, we but then in the practice of it, in, in our personal life, we take wide, obvious, obvious swath around this. Like, don't touch it, it's dangerous. It will do something to you. It will. 
those who study the, the numbers say, look, there's a growing, in our generations of uh, Gen Z and millennial, and there's a growing kind of position, uh, a proud position that I am atheist. I am, I'm atheistic. I, it's really more of a, I don't know what I believe position, but it's under the count, under the cover of, of atheism. They, they, they use the terminology at least. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. That's that doesn't fit with my worldview, and I would I would implore somebody with that worldview to consider other options. But I'm even more concerned about those that claim to be Christians, those who who use the terminology, who claim the title, but lack the impact. Like they 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 know that it's there. They acknowledge that it's there. God is love, and then they live their lives kind of in this. Well, don't get too close to it because it will change. It will, it will do something to your life. And so it's kind of this obvious position of, of, of staying further away. It's, it's almost as if the cars that zipped right past you didn't even see you. And you can tell, you know, well, you can complain about them. But then the people that, that take these wide swaths, they see you. They saw me in my shorts and my thumb up going, I need help. And they chose to remain distant. And so my greater concern is not the growing number or the, or the, the generation, our, our, our friends and family who, who say, oh, I don't even acknowledge that he's there. I, I don't want to say that's not my concern. That is my concern. But my primary concern, uh, what I would like us to consider is those of us who live our lives with one foot in and one foot out this week so what are we going to do about it this week i'd like to invite you tuesday wednesday thursday friday we're going to consider a cry from the cross a different cry my god my god why have you forsaken me i thirst it is finished you know the cries from the cross just just compare what happened there jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate's trying to engage and he remains silent. The gospel writer Matthew says this was an amazement. Why? Because they were used to this kind of verbal. It was, it was a bit of a debate. Come on, debate with me uh, right before I, I bring down the gallow and, and your punishment. And so Jesus remains quiet. But then when you think he would remain quiet, so he doesn't speak up then. But then when you think he would remain quiet. He does speak up. So hanging on the cross, he begins to say these things. And I fear that here's this great moment in Christian history. Here's the, here's the most important moment in Christian history. That we have taken those and read over those with some sort of, okay, that was nice. He thirsted. Oh, Jesus needed water. And I don't mean to belittle it because no question that he was thirsty when he had been put through. But to walk away from it as, as if that's it. That the cry in these final moments of the life of Jesus was nothing more than just a concern for his own well-being. Friend, it's very superficial. There's something more. There has to be. Here Jesus, when he should have made his argument, he remains quiet. But then when we, we think, well, he... This is when he would be quiet. He begins to speak up. And could it be 
that Pilate, while he was anticipating some sort of verbal discourse, an argument, come on, duke it with me verbally. He was amazed at the silence. Jesus saved his arguments for a greater purpose, a greater audience, a greater statement while he hung on the cross. He makes these cries. Within the context of the great controversy and the death of Christ, they are prophetic, they are personal, and they are powerful. Incredibly powerful. We've read them off as just, well, God was feeling alone, or Jesus was feeling alone, separated from God. It's true, he was. Oh, he was thirsty. It's true, he was. But there is so much more. So that's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What about today? I want to invite you just to consider that passage that Nicole pointed us to. You know, the passage that everyone knows, the most popular, the most used, in and out burger puts it up, or at least put it on their cups. Yeah, I don't know if, if everybody's old enough to remember Tim Tebow and his statement with his eyeliner. John 3 and verse 16. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is the magnum opus statement of, of who God is. Most popular verse. Why? Why? John chapter 3. Now, what's the context? All right? Ah, you know, you know, you know. Here's Jesus, this, this gaining ground rabbi. And one of the one of the council members, we know it's Nicodemus, but he's he's saying, man, there is something going on here. There's some power here. There's something here. I want to make sure I'm not missing out. So he catches up with him, a rusty old bench. Dark garden, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Powerful line. God so loved the world. We believe it. That's our state to the world. Those who are hurting and lost. Of course, this also applies in direct conflict with our own feelings at times. What happens if we claim this God that loves so deeply the world, but he doesn't fix my own loss of my child or the sickness of my family? Why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he stop hurt and pain? I don't know. I don't know sometimes. Of course, we can we can take the philosophical positions of free will and, and the presence of evil, and, and that all makes sense. But still, at the end of the day, when you're hurt, when you're, when you're missing, when you're broken, still doesn't always make sense. Though, maybe that's proof itself. I want to to point your attention to a path, to a word in the passage that began to change this verse a little bit for me. And this sets us up for our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday conversation of, of the Christ from the cross. This sets up the context for those because God so loved the world that he sent his own son to, to die so that I wouldn't have to, so I could live. He would pay the price. That love Our world is the context in which those cries from the cross come. That's the whole reason why 
why Jesus couldn't do what those who mocked him said he should do. Hey, if you come down, then we'll believe you. If you do something like, if you get off the cross and don't allow yourself to suffer, because from a very human perspective, suffering is, is the opposite of love. You can't be God and, you, and suffer. You can't be loved and hurt. So this verse sets up the context. But I want to point out one word. For God so loved the world. This for me, friend, made John 3.16. I came to understand why it was so powerful. For God so loved the world. Jesus uses a Greek word that we're all pretty familiar with. God so loved the cosmos. That's a word that's found its way through the English vocabulary. God so loved the world. But maybe what we've missed is what that meant to the Greek here. To the one who spoke Greek, that, that the term cosmos was a relative term. For God so loved the cosmos. What was the cosmos? Well, it was the universe, or it was just a part of the universe, maybe a, a planet, the world, which would make this translation. God so loved the world. But it could also mean a subgroup of the world, maybe a smaller circle even. Cosmos is a relative term depending on the context in which it's used. So play the scene out again. It's a dark night on an old bench, a stony path, and there's not 5,000. This is not the feeding of the 5,000. This is not uh, even the 12 disciples. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the cosmos. Now Nicodemus is going to hear that and to translate that in the context in which it's used. What's the context? Context of one. For God so loved you. You're the world to him. You're everything to God. You're it. God loved you, and we've heard this line, but it's right in the text that he would have come for just one. You were it for him. You, were, you meant the world to God, the cosmos to him. Now, I, if I was a, a Bible translator, I would actually just, I don't know how I could come to one, one translation, because I do believe God so loved the universe that he sent his son. Jesus came to this planet, not just for this planet, but for a, 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 a finality to, to finish off the great controversy in, in, in front of the entire universe. So it's his love for the entire universe that brought Jesus to this planet. It was also his love for this planet. It was also his love for, for the state of California. 
and his love for Loma Linda, and his love for this campus, and his love for me on this campus. The cosmos is a relative term depending on the context in which it's used, just to say it again, so that we walk off this rooftop today knowing that the cries on the cross were in the context of God loving you. He was willing to stay on that cross. Ah, I appreciate the God, the, the, the expression, so, for God so loved the world. It's a beautiful line. But it just, it unpacks differently in the crucible of our suffering, in the darkness of our own personal struggles, in the questions and doubts that plague us. If we hear those cries from the cross, if we hear and see the expression of Jesus dying, not for the world, but for Michael, I think it will create a, a brighter, an even more beautiful picture of what God did. There was a presenter shared the story of a man who, who woke up one morning convinced he was dead. I know that feels like every morning to some of us. But this man really felt like he was dead. He was convinced. He told his wife, I died. I'm dead. I'm not really alive. And as every good wife does, she shook it off and said, you'll get over it. Buckle up. Put a cup. But he did. Day after day, he said, "I something happened that day. That night, I died. So finally, she... She recommended what? That he come see some doctors, psychiatrists. Didn't change his mind. Finally, that became a team of medical doctors trying in, in one room. They said, look, all we need to do is prove one thing. Prove that only living people bleed. Or convince them, rather, that only, only living people bleed. And so they worked the angles, the data, the charts, the slides, the facts. They inundated him with information until he finally, he finally admitted, okay, I will agree. Only living people bleed. As soon as he said that, a doctor took a pin and plunged it into his vein where blood spurted out. To which the man responded, great Scott. Yes, dead people bleed too. <laughs> Here's the point. I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm going to invite Jesus to convince you. It's, it's not at all about convincing you that God loves you. No, stop. It's not the goal at all. The invitation of this week is wherever you're at on the journey of how does God feel about me? That you would at least be willing to reconsider if you've struggled with it. If you're not sure, you're not feeling it. I'm not here to convince you. Because you'll still, with that, like the hitchhiker on the road, you'll still drive, you'll know, hey, I believe God is love. 
You'll make wide swaths around you. I just want to invite you this week through the cries of the cross to hear four different cries and to hear if they've got something to say to your heart. I believe on Friday afternoon that, that collectively we will come to the place where it wasn't just the world that God died for, not just a group of people, not just a mass, but it was you. It was you on his mind. Those cries from the cross were about you. Shane is going to sing with us for us right now. As she comes, I'm going to just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, we're all in different places. It doesn't matter if we've been reading John 3.16 for three decades. No doubt there's something that the devil has still conjured up to get us to question, to struggle, to wrestle. We don't know. And we have friends that don't know. And we're tired of just saying it. Yes, God is love. Oh, I, I believe it. But not letting it do a deep work in our lives. We want, we want it to. It's love, God, we're talking about. And love is active. It's, it's powerful. It's creative, recreative. And if it's true that you died for me, Jesus, you died for, for the individuals, not a plurality, singularity, we want to hear what you have to say from that cross. So speak love into our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.